Hey everyone, my name is Josh. Uh, I run a podcast called Pursuit of Infinity, uh, which talks about uh, esoteric philosophy and mainly psychedelics as a tool for spiritual and uh, therapeutic and medicinal um, health. Okay, I'm curious, what counts as, so you, esoteric philosophy, what counts as esoteric? Anything that to me goes against the grain of what we've been taught in our like sort of materialist paradigm, um, what we've been taught in school. Um, all of the things that they told you couldn't exist, um, whether it be spirituality, um, Eastern thought, um, all kinds of philosophy that essentially go against the grain of what we've been taught. So anything that's, so you just lump in anything that feels sort of countercultural. is that, does it all get kind of lumped in there? Yeah, pretty much. Cause I find that uh, I have an interest in all of this stuff. I don't really subscribe to too much. Um, I don't subscribe to too many conspiracies or too much. Um, I don't really uh, attach myself too much to my thoughts and opinions. I like to be open to everything. And uh, just things that interest me are, you know, on the edges, you know, the, the peripheral of society and culture. Okay, so tell me how you first got interested in psychedelics. What age and why? So it was around uh, 2015 or 16. Um, I started to do a lot of research into politics because you know you had this election where um, during the primaries you had Bernie Sanders versus Hillary Clinton, these two big Democratic names. And then on the other side you had Donald Trump, and he was just thrashing his way through the Republican Party, and it was just a really interesting time politically. So. I, along with a lot of other people, started to become pretty engaged in that. Um, and that's when I started to realize that there has to be some other way to do the stuff that we're doing. There, like, there has to be some other way because when I would look at the Democratic side, I would see the status quo versus the quote-unquote revolution of Bernie Sanders. And then you see the other side, the Republicans, who are also very status quo and you're seeing Donald Trump break through as a guy who's fundamentally different. And both of them didn't really seem to capture what I thought um, the direction of our country should go in. So that's pretty much where it started with politics and trying to navigate my way through um, finding a way forward that wasn't uh, in the same path that we were currently on. And it led me to uh, looking into some interesting people that introduced me to these uh, these topics. Okay, let me ask about that, because you did identify, you said you looked at the Democrats and the Republicans, and you said, okay, there's kind of a status quo person, but then there's a person who is supposed to be the one, as you said, like Bernie Sanders, feels like a revolution. And then on the other side, you had kind of status quo Republicans, and then Trump, who was aggravating the entire party. So how come in sort of like seeing another path, you weren't just like, yeah, revolution, or just stick, you know, thumbing your nose at, at the, uh, the other side, that's enough. Just breaking from the status quo is enough. What do you remember what you kind of identified or what you felt in there that didn't feel quite right as a path? Yeah, I know I've always had this like thing inside of me that has been attracted to people who are, who exemplify love and compassion. And I didn't see that on either side. And what I did see was the left who, both sides, really, they became more volatile toward one another. So what I saw was each of these countercultural paths, although seemed attractive in their own ways, uh, were just sort of further dividing people. And I don't think that's the way to do it. 
So who was your, so I find it fascinating that politics and politics led you to psychedelics. So what was the first sort of um, philosophical gateway drug? Who was the first person or the first group of people that started getting you thinking there could be another path as you went looking? So there are there two guys, uh, they're brothers, Terrence and Dennis McKenna. Okay. So I started, I, I watched this crazy documentary and it's it called uh, DMT, The Spirit Molecule. And uh, DMT is uh, a, a very potent psychedelic. And basically what, what this documentary went over was uh, there was a guy who did the first clinical trials since the Controlled Substances Act uh, was put into place. In that was 1970, I believe that they, they put that into place. Um, so in the 90s, this guy named Rick Strassman, he did a bunch of studies with DMT where he would inject people with DMT and he would essentially just measure uh, their vitals, all of the the specific uh, like medical measurements that you would expect someone to be measuring for anything, okay. very basic stuff. And what he found was that people were coming out of these experiences and they were claiming that they met God and that they were transported to alternate dimensions and they were speaking with entities. And, you know, he would basically say to them, okay, you know, that's all fine and good, um, but you realize this is like a hallucination, right? And this isn't anything that is really uh, beneficial to my research. And they said, no, 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 <laughs> no, Mr. Strassman, this was more real than this reality here. And that's when I really started to think like, what are these substances and what kind of experiences can a, can a person have that makes you feel like you're visiting something that has like a structural reality that is ineffable, you cannot describe with, with language and that they claim is more real than real. And that's what started me down this path of, so that's when I was introduced to Dennis McKenna and then uh, his older brother, Terrence is uh, the guy who really just set it all off for me. I mean, he's a, a psychedelic bard. He was just an insane philosopher that had such a way with words um, and really just attracted me to the to the topic even more. Okay, so now you've you know you've watched some videos, you've listened, you've read some stuff. What was your next step in your exploration? So my next step was obtaining. <laughs> Uh, some of these substances and yeah. trying to uh, to get there myself. Okay. And the easiest uh, way forward there is uh, psilocybin mushrooms. So that's the one that I seeked out and I ended up getting myself some and uh, the rest is history. Do you remember, so up until that point, what substances, if if any, had you used to try to alter your consciousness, to either calm yourself down, to hype yourself up, or to try to put yourself in a different state than your normal day-to-day? -day? So only marijuana and, uh, and alcohol. I was never the type of person that delved into drugs of any sort. I'd never tried anything hard, no coke, heroin, nothing that's, no meth, any of that stuff. So... Um, yeah, my gateway drug was marijuana. Were you going to do, did you do this by yourself? What was your first experience with eating mushrooms? So it was funny. I had a friend, a very good friend of mine who, uh, he was like a kind of a, a rebel in high school okay. and he was, um, he did a lot of drugs, a lot of psychedelics, um, in the wrong environment, in the wrong set and setting. So uh, at one time, you know, I knew he was experienced with with this stuff, so I approached him and I said, "Hey, man, like, why don't we try taking mushrooms in this like in this container with with this specific 
set and setting is, is what they call it. A mindset, which is like what you bring to it, your intentions, why you're doing it, um, and also your environment, your setting. So you're not gonna wanna be in like a party setting or anything like that. You're gonna wanna be in a nice environment with beautiful music and you know low lights, you know, very comfortable environment with people that you know. Okay. Um, and he looked at me and he said, dude, I've done these drugs more times than you can count. You have no idea what you're talking about, but let's do it so I can show you what's what. Okay. And when you described it to him, was his major complaint that like, what you're describing is dumb and boring. And like, these things are intended for this huge social experience that I've had before. That's what drugs are for. They're for this. So his, his idea going in is like, this is a dumb setup you're setting up. We're not going to have any fun. Was that, what, what were, did he tell you what he was worried about or what he was like, this isn't going to work? It was exactly that, but it was also that these substances cannot um, give you the experience that I was trying to describe to him was the goal. Okay. You know, the, the spiritual healing type of experience. He said that that's not what these substances are about. They're just about getting high and seeing colors and having fun with your friends. Right. Okay. All right. So what, so what happens? You convince him, we're going to sit down, we're going to do this. How does it play out? Man. So <laughs> I used to be, um, a very staunch atheist, very much so. Um, and within the first 30 seconds of like the peak of the experience, that was gone. It was completely gone. Um, and we looked at each other and we just had like this, this unspoken knowing that what I had told him was going to happen is exactly what happened. Um, and we just, we proceeded to have one of the most beautiful experiences of either of our lives. What, so uh, this might run into a situation where you're like, well, what I experienced cannot be put into words, but I'm going to force you. So put into words that first experience that also absolutely confirmed that what you thought it was going to be like and what you've been told is exactly what happened. So what was it like? I'll try to describe it okay. as best I can. <laughs> so what happens is it's like you start to feel the onset happen and your body is telling you that something's going wrong, you know? Like your your anxiety starts to rise, and at least for me, my anxiety would rise, and the alarms would start going off in my head. It's like my, my mind, my ego is telling me that something is happening that's about to separate myself from my ego. And the only thing that my brain can interpret that as is death. So it's like all of those alarms are going off in your head that are that are trying to survive, essentially, that the monkey mind. Um, and that fear is very natural. But after you sort of get past that fear and you surrender to the experience, what then happened was I felt this overall sense that my consciousness itself was ascending to like a higher level or um, a different place, if that if that makes any sense. And what that place was was almost structured. Um, when I there were when you when I closed my eyes, because of course when your eyes are open, you see all kinds of craziness. Things are melting and all you know all kinds of colors and things like that. But the rubber hits the road when you close your eyes, because then the external stimuli of your environment is not influencing the visual field that you're that you're currently seeing. So. When you close your eyes, it's almost as if your mind works with the psilocybin, the substance, to create these insane visuals that are impossible to describe and that 
I felt there's no way my mind can come up with this. Like I never thought that the shapes, the colors, the way that they moved, I didn't think that my mind could ever come up with this. And I mean, I'm a, I was a graphic design student. I graduated college for graphic design. So I, you know. You had to use your imagination and creativity in, uh, constantly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm steeped in art. You know, I've, you know, drawing and all kinds of, you know, illustration and painting. And my mind knew that, like, I knew that I could never come up with this stuff in my most creative day. <clears throat> it was just insane. Like the, the visuals themselves are just these, geometric flowing moving living patterns and along with the visuals which are amazing um there's this sense of ego loss that that uh the the alarms were going off for a reason because what psilocybin does is it sort of uh slows down and shuts down your default mode network in your brain which is the center for what you define yourself as you know i know myself as josh um, I have certain preferences. I like uh, ice cream and pizza and whatever. You know, all of that <laughs> yeah, yeah. stuff that I define myself as and my preferences were it was starting to slip away from me. And the the people in my life and the things that I cared about were also starting to slip away. Like everything was, and I had to let all of that stuff go. And what it appeared in my field of vision um, in closed eyes was like it was almost like this knit pattern or something like that and um of like squares like a like a square quilt and each of these quilts were like each of the squares were something that i defined myself as or something that was very important to me and i just watched the threads unravel and each of these squares individually would just vanish into darkness so it was like a visualization of me like letting go of all of the things that I defined myself as and all of the things that I thought were real and important and that I prioritized. And after this happened and after it all just kind of like went away and I surrendered to the experience of like a ego disillusion, on the other side of that, that's where the real experience began. And that's where I felt what I can only only describe as God. And this is an atheist, like a prior atheist coming to you saying this, like it, it, the only definition or the only word that would fit the definition of what I saw and what I felt was a higher sense of spiritual intelligence, um, if that is a better word or, or a better phrase than God. Uh, so you're ha this is the part this is the part I find interesting. So when you when you have people who have strange experiences, things that are outside the norm of the thing they normally do, um, I feel like, you know, we talk about there's ego death and we talk about that the default mode gets shut down. But what gets described oftentimes is their brain trying to rationalize and make sense of what they're seeing. So the same storytelling brain that runs around and tells you you're Josh and that you ate those eggs because you like eggs and this is all part of your identity. Is there a reason that you know that it wasn't just rationalization and justifying of weird things your brain's seeing because you're tripping? <clears throat> now you know it. You, you, there's a new, you said, I let the ego go, but now when I'm done with this, now I have a deeper sense. I know this next thing. Well, what if you just took your little knowledge thing and you kicked it up one level and your little rationalizer was still rationalizing while you're experiencing this very strange new knowledge? That's a great question. And the way I think about it is the rationalization part of your mind is the part that keeps you grounded here. If you're, if you're having the experience and like say I would be 
going through this and I'm trying to rationalize and I'm trying to like understand what's happening and put labels on it and define exactly what's going on, um, that's going to keep me grounded and keep me here. And it's not going to allow me to fully experience what, um, what the substance is offering. So what you do is, or what I would do is I surrender to all definition, to all label, to all thought, um, and to all things that I attach my, my, myself to, whether it be intellectually, spiritually, you know, philosophical, any of that stuff. Um, and then what happens is this internal knowing it's, it's almost like a cool way. I like to describe it yeah. is, uh, have you ever seen those, uh, it's like an optical illusion image and it's two faces on either side. And then in like the middle, it's that chalice thing and it's, it's black and white. Yeah. So you like, depending on which, whether you're focusing on the black or the white, you'll see two different things. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So it's almost like I was looking at that for, you know, for 28, 29 years of my life and I could only see the faces. Okay. And then this, ex this experience allowed me to see the, the center allowed me to see that, that goblet image too, that was always there, but that I was never able to sense, like to, to perceive with my senses. And when it comes to you as an experience, as opposed to like someone telling you, you know, I could sit down in a lecture hall and I could have someone say to me like, you know, oh, the substance does this. And then when this happens, this means that you're meeting God or, you know, whatever. But when you experience it and you feel it for yourself, it's, it's real that way. It's almost like if if someone tried to describe to you what sex was like and you never had sex in your entire life, you could never fully understand and grasp what it was without doing it. Then when you do it, you're like, oh, okay, now I understand. So it's similar in in that way to uh, it's it's a, a very deep experience that uh, that sort of proves to you um, the the rationalization that comes afterward. What was kind of the fundamental knowledge you came out of it? So talking about when you say staunch, you know, you were like, I was a hardcore atheist. Does that mean, and I, I have many friends who have been on this side, militant atheist, which is, it's not just I'm neutral to religion, but religion is stupid and evil. And so if I talk about it, I'm a little irritated by it. Like, I don't want to talk about religion. Is that how atheist you were? That is. Okay. That is how atheist I was. <laughs> what did you find out? What do you now know? What did you experience that made you think there is a God, there is some intelligence? What was it? Was it a plan? Was it an intelligence? Was it, what did you detect? What did you feel? So the very first thing that it showed me, and this came across again as an experience, it showed me that I don't know shit. It literally <laughs> told me, you don't know anything. So all these rationalizations you're trying to put around things, these labels and definitions, atheists, religious that's all garbage. Even your like, the, and it even showed me that our science is is garbage. It, it's just our science essentially is just it's a way of measuring our external environment based upon the abilities that our senses give us to measure. Um, and th although that's amazing and that's fantastic and that's that was my religion before this really was science. Um, it showed me that the way I was looking at the world was was through a tiny little lens. And again, it's like that that image, the, the black and white image. It's like, I'm only seeing the faces and you weren't seeing that center part. So you're ignoring an entire part of reality that makes it real and that makes it whole. And you just, you weren't able to see it. What, so you can't, you can't, 
so you said in that in that stretch you said an it so are you feeling a creator a creative force a plan did you feel the presence of another intelligence you felt in dialogue in some way with something else I did definitely I felt like I was in dialogue with something uh like metaphysically like within my mind or something and it felt as if it was an external higher intelligence something that had so much power that it could just that it could put me down lay me out or it could it could you know you know rise me up to enlightenment and also another very interesting part of this is something that i've never felt in my entire life before that also contributed to the the spiritual nature of um the way i look at it now is i felt this interconnectedness with everyone and everything um it's almost like I felt myself in everyone. I felt everyone in myself. I felt their pain, I felt their joy, and not just with every person, but every animal, every plant. So what I'm seeing is like this, what I refer to as like a guy in mind, like, a, like the Earth's intelligence. Um, it almost felt as if I was merging with the wisdom of nature itself. And I never thought that was anything that was possible. I always thought that nature was something that we sort of fight against, we control, um, and that is like a scary place that we don't want to be in. But what I realized was that we are nature. Like we're part of this thing. We weren't, we weren't like put here or something. We were birthed from this this whole gigantic biosphere, this massive ecosystem of one. So you learn, you have this experience you learn things and you feel them on a different level of knowing when you come back out. What do you, one of the things religion, spirituality, oftentimes if you <clears throat> experiencing, experiencing the intent is to, in some way, not always alter your behavior in some way. You have a new mission. You have new things you didn't understand. And that alters how you experience and react to things around you. What was the sort of, did you feel like there was an expectation on the part of the plan or the intelligence that you would act differently? Or was it just like, here's information. I don't have a plan, man. Go do whatever you want with this. Did you feel like you're supposed to do something at the end? I didn't feel like there was anything specific that it told me to do, but what I felt was an overwhelming sense of a shift in priority and a shift in the way that I thought about the entire breadth of reality. Um, it reprioritized the way, or it helped to reprioritize the way I think about relationships, the way I think about family, the way I think about my work, how I spend my time. Um, it just, it flipped everything. It changed absolutely everything, um, including, uh, so I've been with the same person, my fiance, um, for coming up on 16 years. Um, and it really helped to, um, this is another, another uh, story and, 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 and like another aspect of it, um, it helped to solidify our relationship as well um, in a very, very profound way. So there's that part too. Okay, so that raises a, a solidified. Does that mean your your partner also had experiences like this or you came out of it a different person and that caused your relationship to change, but it was only you shifting? Uh, initially, it was only me shifting. Okay. Um, but then when I approached her and I said, hey, listen, because we were going through some rough times and I said, you know, if you really want to make this work, 
there's this thing we could try together that I think could help us to communicate and connect on a deeper level. Um, so she's like, all right, cool, let's do it. So we tried it and it changed everything. I mean, it was like, we have basically two um, like halves of our relationship before psychedelics <laughs> and after psychedelics. I mean, it just reshifted our priorities in, in an insane way to where, you know, prior we weren't each other's top priority 100%. And what this did was it connected us again in, in a way where we we realigned our priorities to be number one on each of our lists. So no matter what we did, you know, we always thought of each other. And I mean, that's just one of the many ways that it, that it, it helped to, uh, to reprioritize the way we think about our relationship. But, uh, you know, it allowed us to communicate uh, and opened us up in a way that um, like dissolves and breaks down the walls that you put up to protect yourself and to protect your ego. And when you break those walls down, you can let people in because it's like you're you're leading with your heart as opposed to your mind. So I'll I'll just play devil I'll play devil's advocate. So I'm thinking of so from a, a religious angle, what you're describing it sounds like an amazing mystical experience. And then you go back and when you return to life, I'm like, well, this is just your ego putting your mystical experience to work. So every person we we are we are little sexual animals and we partner up with other animals sometimes inside of our society. And this is just your ego figuring out how to make that little um, sex relationship you have a little better. So that's it. You made it a little better. You feel better. Your anxiety's less. Your depression's less. You feel more centered. Your priorities are better. And let that's all sounds like oh man, hey man, that's a whole lot of ego. So so the argument back, hey. It's kind of like you had this experience and your ego's like, oh yeah, that's great. I like all those things. I'll utilitarian wise, I'm just gonna make I'm gonna make you a more efficient, happier human being. Boom, problem solved. Is there anything deeper that goes against your ego in your day-to-day -day where you're like, ooh, this is hard for me. I can feel there's a fight in me. Well, I think a common misconception with people who are doing psychedelics is that you're supposed to obliterate your ego. Sure. <laughs> and you're never supposed to like have it return again. But I think the the point is like your ego it's the most important part of who you are. It's this autopilot mode that we that we live every day in. So the way I like to look at it is like the, the psychedelic experience helped to inform my autopilot ego mind uh, to like navigate the world in a more productive and loving way. Okay, that carries, because my favorite thing is the Zen saying where the master comes and says, first there's mountains and rivers, then no mountains and rivers, then mountains and rivers. Like, oh, so that's what you're, first I was tied up in the ego, then I'm like ego obliteration, but you don't stop at ego obliteration, you go back to some other, because the ego doesn't go away. It doesn't disappear, just, you don't turn into an amorphous entity that sort of flows into the universe, you go back to being you, just a different kind of you acting differently. Yeah, they say uh, chop wood, carry water, you know, uh, do the laundry, you know, the, you do the laundry before ecstasy and you do the laundry afterward, you know, you still have to do all this stuff and you, you know, you, you can have this insane mystical experience, but if it's not informing what you do in this reality, in this world, then what's the point, you know? What do you think is the difference between what happened to you and what seems to happen to other people, whether they're, um, they're experiencing extreme 
mental illness or whether they've taken hallucinogenic drugs or they've gone through a really stressful period or creatively their just mind opens them up to an understanding and they decide they have this massive mission. So some people come out of this mystical experience and they're wildly driven in some new way. What do you do you hear from people that that happens to them where they come out and like, oh, my God, my life. Now I have this mission I'm supposed to do. And then other people, again, like you, I go back to, you know, chopping wood and carrying water like I was kind of the same thing I was doing before. Yeah, definitely. You know, you hear people that talk about, oh, I had this clear message of what I'm supposed to do and I'm supposed to do this and that and, and like the, this exact clear path um, and great for them. That That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Um, I didn't experience anything like that. And usually people who experience that, they it depends on the substance as well. Like my favorite is uh, is psilocybin mushrooms. Um, I also really love DMT in a smoked form. Um, but a lot of people that have like the very clear path and clear message are people who participate in ayahuasca ceremonies, um, which is a basically another form of DMT, but it's a mixture of plants uh, that allows DMT to be edible. So you drink this brew and, you know, the, these, these plants, they mix together and the DMT gets activated in your brain and you have um, like, a, like a, an extended DMT state. Okay. Um, and that is usually done under like a shamanic ritual because these are like, it's an ancient brew from thousands of years ago in the Amazon. Um, and that's where people mostly have those experiences. So it's definitely dependent on the substance, the dose, again, the set and setting, what you're bringing to it. If you're looking for those kinds of answers, you know, if, if you're looking for meaning and purpose in your life, a lot of times you can use these substances to uh, help direct you in, in the right way. Okay. So again, so playing from devil's advocate, we kind of started, you said, a science used to be my religion. The great thing about science, as much as there's a lot of sort, sort of shared reality and people agreeing on things, science mostly says, um, we tried this, it led to this. If you try this, it will lead to this. We can prove it again and again and again and again that it is exactly going to work like this. Drug A does this. Here are the things that could have their side effects. So we analyze all that. But this leads to this. And then when people try it themselves, they're like, right, this leads to this. In this case, when you get into religion, spirituality, mysticism, um, mind-altering drugs, mind-altering states, people's reactions to them, the A leading to B does not seem to always lead to A to B. So I'm wondering if in talking to people about these experiences, you've had some people where I did exactly what I was supposed to. Nothing happened. I got no knowledge. So in other words, the experiment was not repeatable. It didn't repeat for me. Yes. Uh, um, the the experience, it can run the gamut. Okay. You know, some people have no experience at all. And that also depends on, like, maybe if you're on certain medications. Like, I know if you're on SSRIs, uh, these substances don't work well with them. So they can sort of be canceled out. Um, also benzodiazepines don't work well with them. Um, people actually use benzodiazepines. That's what they call like a trip abort. Uh, so oh. they're having like a rough time. You can take some benzos or something, which I don't recommend, um, because I believe the experience should be able to work itself out because it tends to tie itself up in a nice little bow, even if you are having a rough experience. Um, but yeah, it's very dependent upon, uh, like dose, dosage, um, set and setting, uh, you know, uh, so many different things. Are there, in exploring this enough, where you went out and explored enough, where you had a feeling, I know the kind of physical environment, I know what I want to be hearing and seeing, I know who I would be comfortable having there and who not comfortable, I know the kind of drug I'm going to try. Um, as you go out and explore, does it seem like there's a, 
if if you when you when people ask you what should I do, can you do people offer clear guidelines or as you said it can run the gamut? So we can't say for sure if really maybe you would have the best experience with a bunch of people around. Maybe you'd have the best experience completely by yourself. Maybe you have the best experience in a sensory deprivation tank. It's all the options. Is it such a wide gamut of recommendations you can't really say? If you're going to do this drug, you need to set your situation up like this. Yeah, I mean, I all I have recommendations um, depending on where you want to go and what kind of experience you want to have. But I mean, there are group experiences. Uh, I spoke of ayahuasca just before. People usually you do that with like 20 people in the room, um, and you can have just as profound experiences with groups as you can by yourself. But the experience will be different. It'll be like profound in a different way. Uh, personally, I like to do it with like maybe one, two, three people that I'm I'm close with and that I can trust um, in like a very mellow and relaxed environment. Some people like to do like ecstatic dance while they do it. I mean, that's not really my style, but you know, I used to, you know, again, I've been dogmatic throughout like my whole life. <laughs> I started off being a dogmatic atheist. And even when I started doing psychedelics, I was very dogmatic on how to do it. I was like, you got to do it this way to get this experience. This is the way to do it. But then eventually I just learned like, that's not like, let go of the dogma. These, these experiences uh, can, can range in such a wide variety. And again, I don't know shit. I'm just, I'm just, you know, on this path, like everybody else, you know? Um, so thinking about a lot in this country, especially I was fascinated early America. I feel like we had these two strong strands. We have freedom loving people who want to make sure there's a separation of church and state and the people are free to live their own lives the way they see fit and the government and the church should leave them alone. And then on the other side, you have Puritans. We have a strong puritanical street streak in this country where discipline and rigor and the Protestant work ethic. And these things are hard coded in. And then drug abuse infuriates the people who think you need to stay disciplined and controlled. And these drugs, specifically, you're describing a situation where you are becoming uncontrolled. So it doesn't mean you're going to you're not rampaging, but you're out of control. And so some people just say that's wrong. You need to be in control. And so anything that makes you out of control, we're not comfortable with, which may be one reason this stuff gets outlawed. So overall, what are your thoughts about substances and adults using them. I mean, because we talked about some of the drugs, you're like, I didn't do coke, I didn't do heroin. Those things can lead to serious problems. How do you feel about drug legalization and the law when it comes to these drugs? It's a really interesting issue because I really do believe that as adults, we should be able to alter our consciousness in any way we see fit. If I want to go get a bunch of heroin and coke, I should be able to do that. And what you see now is a situation where the regulation is so ridiculous that people people are always going to go out and seek these substances out. For thousands and thousands of years, we co-evolved with plants and mind-altering substances. So people are going to always seek them out. But what I believe we should do as uh, you know the richest and most developed country in the world is to educate people about how to use drugs and also to provide them with sources of drugs that are pure. Because most of the time, the deaths, the overdoses, they're people who are just buying street drugs or buying them off like some Chinese website and they're dying of of fentanyl overdoses or something when they really wanted to just get like, you know, a benzo or whatever. Um, So it's about purity it's about getting, um, making sure that it's 
in a safe and contained environment and that were educated on how to use these substances as opposed to just saying like, nope, do not use them. Because then you create a, a society of people who don't know what they're doing and they're learning from their peers as opposed to learning from people who like know what's going on and know what's happening, know what these substances do to your mind. Um, because ultimately, you know, we should be able to merge the, these two groups, you know, like the, the left progressivism and, you know, the right conservative nature. We, we should be able to merge them and uh, not just have one or the other. We, we need to, to find a healthy balance of, of both um, intellectual education and also spiritual knowledge. What are the parts of f freedom when it comes to using and having these experiences and having them change your life? What are the parts as you sit back, you say, I see these risks? Because I think a lot of times when you see people who who uh, push, so the people who are against legalizing drugs talk about all the risks and the people who are for legalizing drugs talk none of the risks. So it seems like the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. What are risks that you take very seriously knowing that, look, some percentage of the population is going to become addicted and overuse these things? What do you see as the major risks for like, hey, if we did open this up and we did it the best possible way, human beings would still get messed up in these three ways. What are the ways you see? I mean, there are definitely risks. I mean, but honestly, you know, if I go down the street to a McDonald's and I get cheeseburger with all those chemicals in it like there's a risk there too i'm taking a risk if i go drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes i'm taking big massive risks it's just we value certain risks over others yeah um and it depends on the drug too you know when it does come to cocaine and heroin and things like that opiates the risks are very much physical when it comes to dependency um, when it comes to psychedelics, the risks are psychological because these substances are, they're literally by definition anti-addictive. There's, it's almost impossible. Well, you can't become physically dependent on say psilocybin mushrooms. It's not possible. Um, but you can become psychologically addicted to anything. You know, you can become psychologically addicted to marijuana, to, to the experience of touching God. If you, if, if you feel that on, on psychedelics, so there are definite risks. And uh, another big risk with psychedelics are just, you know, psychotic breaks and psychological ailments. You know, there's people who just shouldn't do them. It's not that they're for everyone, um, which is why, again, I think the education aspect of it is so important because then we understand, you know, am I predisposed to having a psychotic break? Should I take it? Should I not take psychedelics because of that? Um, but the research, it was halted for over 40 years. So we're just now beginning to see a lot of these, uh, a lot of these experiments and uh, a lot of this research coming to, to forward now. What has you most in the, in the work? So you have a podcast and you talk to people about esoteric philosophy. You talk to them about psychedelics. You talk about them, these experiences they have. Um, is it the science catching up with this that has you interested these days? Or is it mostly talking about the anecdotal experiences that people have and sort of the down in the trenches crafting of experiences and the crafting diff of different experiences that people are trying? Or is it like, oh, no, I like the fact that science is catching up with this. Or do you still feel like I had a break with science and I'm just not that much into it? It's everything. Okay. You know, I, I, I still love science. I talk to a lot of scientists, philosophers, doctors, um, you know, people who are, you know, PhDs in, um, in psychology, a lot of them, because a lot of them are working, uh, with these substances in a therapeutic way. Um, and actually I have like, there's, I mean, there are so many studies that you can, you, you can see that, um, that show that these things are helping people with, 
uh, treatment resistant depression um, and things like that. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole gamut really, I mean, it, it's also interesting to me because what psychedelics help to do is increase my curiosity and it, and obviously, you know, my, my curiosity revolving around these substances has been heightened dramatically. So anything that can shed light on what this stuff is, what it means, what the experience is, because ultimately like it was an amazing, I've had, you know, a bunch by now. Um, these have been amazing experiences that have changed my entire life. And some of the things that I've experienced and merged with, I cannot put a label to, and I have no idea what they are. So anything that, any philosophy that helps me to sort of flesh out what it is that I experienced uh, is is definitely of high interest to me. What is, you know, again, you mentioned, hey, atheism and then experiencing some kind of supernatural divinity, intelligence, creativity happening in the universe. What is your attitude now about the wide variety of sometimes dogmatic religions, but oftentimes that start with a mystical experience? How do you look at religion now differently than you did before your experience? I, I respect religion way more. I respect religious people a lot more um, because to me, I'm going to bring up, there's a, a spiritual teacher named Ramdas. He passed away, but um, he used to always say that spirituality is like a giant mountain and every single person, we're all positioned at the base of this mountain at, at like a different spot. And we're all starting somewhere. And, you know, whether you're starting as a, an atheist or, you know, a psychedelic guy or a Muslim or a Christian or a Catholic, you know, but ultimately we're all headed toward the same path. We're all going up that mountain. Um, and when we meet at the top, we're, we're intermingling with Christians and, you know, all of us, we're all intermingling together and you can't tell who got there with which path. We're all pointing to the same thing. We're all trying to get to the same place. Um, so I respect religions in that way, where I, I do believe we're all sort of pointing to that same thing. We're trying to to fill that void, that very noticeable void of um, something existing outside of ourselves. Can I ask if somebody hears this and they're they're curious? So maybe you could give two recommendations. One is thinking about legislative and science. If you're curious about digging into the science or the laws in your area, I send people to this website, and on the other side. No, I'm much more curious about these personal stories and crafting experience for myself. So maybe sort of a societal thing. I'm curious about society and hallucinogenics or personal hallucinogenics. Where would you send people? It might be the same place, might be different, whatever you want. So the the most comprehensive website that I've come across, um, it's called psychedelicstoday.com. Um, it was created by uh, Kyle Bowler and Joe Moore. They have a podcast as well. Uh, they are fantastic. It, this is it's it's a, a full fledged psychedelic education center. Um, I actually took a one of their courses. Their course it was called um, Navigating Psychedelics for Clinicians and Therapists, and then the second part of it was Integration and Self Care. And it was a fantastic course. Actually, my podcast sort of was birthed from uh, from that that course because there was this uh, at the end of it. There's an integration project, is what they call it, and you're supposed to put together everything that you've learned in in the class and either create a piece of art or a plan or you know something like that for how you're going to like move forward in your future with this this knowledge uh, so i decided to you know map out and structure this podcast that i do with my brother who's also interested in, in, uh, in the same things um so that's the place i would go 
Um, if people ask me, like sometimes they'll ask me like, oh, you know, should I do psychedelics? Should I try them? And I always say, no, I do not recommend anybody ever take psychedelics. What I do recommend, however, is that you research psychedelics intensively. Do as much research as possible. And in the end, if you feel like it's something that you should do, then by all means, go and, and have at it. Have a great time. But at absolute least, if you do as much research as possible into these substances, what you'll you'll be introduced to topics that are going to expand what you thought the world could possibly offer. It's going to help you to expand your philosophy and your ideas of what's possible, and it's going to introduce you to a lot of things uh, that may change your life. So wait a second. If somebody just wants they want fun and an altered state of consciousness, the first thing you do is you give them homework. Absolutely. Yes. The most important thing is to, to me is to do these substances uh, correctly uh, or quote unquote correctly, responsibly, knowing what you're getting yourself into and doing them for the right reasons. Because in my opinion, these are such powerful substances and should not be trifled with because, man, I've, I've had experiences where I did trifle with them I, and I, I, I pushed it and I had some really, really rough experiences, too. So you, it's not just that you're going to take this substance and you're going to have this amazing ecstatic experience. You might have a really, really challenging time, and I, I've had quite a few of those too. Wait, now you, I, I was, I was going to end it there, but now I have to hear. Maybe if you would share, because my my only experience with hallucinogenics is my dad took my dad came back from Vietnam, took acid. He came and he came back to college and took acid. <clears throat> And he took it from a trusted guy. He knew the guy who made it. He knew where he made it. And when that guy left the school, when he graduated, my dad's like, I'm done. I'm not getting acid from some random person. That's it for me. But he did describe like all the stuff about the the things melting, bugs everywhere, and just having to stay calm. But he said that you, he had some messed up experiences when he took it. Would you share, because you had this, your first experience was incredible. So what the first really bad experience you had, how did it compare? What was different about that thing from that first incredible experience? So one of the issues, it's actually, it's, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. Okay. But psychedelics, especially mushrooms, are easy on beginners for some reason. It seems that if there is an intelligence behind it, if there is something driving it, that it's easy on beginners. And the farther and farther you go, the, the rougher it gets. And again, with me, I'm an idiot. So <laughs> my, my first few experiences, like as you kind of brought up before, it almost solidified my ego in a way where I was like, oh, I am awesome. I went through this crazy experience and like now I have this ultra knowledge that nobody else has and I got super cocky. So uh, the one night we uh, we were out for a little bit, you know, me and my friend and my fiance was going to join us as well. She was out with one of her friends. So we all kind of came together uh, around like nine, 10 o'clock and we planned on eating these mushrooms and we were going to do what's called a heroic dose, a big dose, five grams. It's, um, I mean, it's like you are, you're sealed, you're underwater, you know, you, you cannot, you can't escape it. It's, right. Okay. It's you're like getting a, out. You're not gonna be able to shake yourself loose from this. If you're taking this amount, you're not getting out. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're bound to have a very powerful experience, one of the most powerful of your entire life, which there have been plenty of studies that have shown that uh, lots of people have actually said these are the most powerful experiences of their lives. So that's that's what you can go in knowing, that it's going to be very powerful, very profound. So we end up hanging out for a little while, and we have a very, very deep and meaningful discussion about, um, you know, our childhoods, our past, you know, it's very deep and, and uh, 
you know, traumatic type stuff that happened to us in our lives. And it ends up being three o'clock in the morning and we're, we're feeling great because we just had this cathartic, you know, four hour, five hour long conversation. We're feeling great. The mushrooms have been weighed out and measured and sitting in front of us. So we decide at three o'clock in the morning. Oh, wait, that we're gonna... I have a quick question. I'm mm -hmm. fascinated. I thought you meant we went there. We had this. We took the mushrooms and had this cathartic conversation. But no, you nope. had like a pre pre you guys had this incredible totally sober had this incredible conversation now we're going to take the mushrooms exactly okay, yes yes we were completely sober when we had this conversation um and finally we decide now it's time we're going to take them so we take them and this is what i mean by like respecting the substance doing it the correct way like you don't want to take mushrooms at three o'clock in the morning because it's going to last at least four to six hours you don't want to do it when you're tired you don't want to be cocky about it I mean, we, it was pretty much a formula of all of the wrong ways to go about doing these, these substances, um, set, setting dose, all of it was all, all way off. Okay. So, oh man. So we, we proceed to take them and I just, we all dive into just this rabbit hole of the most challenging in my, in my experience, it was the most challenging experience of my entire life. Um, I ended up like feeling this overwhelming sense of sad and sorrow, like just really, really deep, deep. And, you know, I've, by this time, we've done it a bunch of times. I, I know what the territory is like, you know, and I, I tell myself, okay, you have to experience this. You know, your, your consciousness is presenting you with this because there's something you have to address here, you know? So feel, feel this sorrow, feel the sadness and allow yourself to cry it out. And, you know, I just start crying and I'm, you know, I'm allowing myself to feel it telling myself to surrender to the experience. Um, but it just never ended. It was just, I, I had this this uh, this vision in my, my closed eye visionary field of like a purple aura of my body and like death, you know, like the character death who carries the scythe, like came into my vision and just sliced me with his scythe from bottom to top and out came just all of the sorrow of the entire universe. And I, it was just this terribly painful experience. Um, and I mean, honestly, it, it taught me quite a bit. It taught me a lot. Um, so I do say that it was like a nightmare trip. It was a really hard, challenging experience. But I can say also that I learned more from that experience probably than any other in a certain aspect.